Welcome to the Faith Seeking Freedom Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. Your questions about faith and liberty deserve thoughtful answers, and we're dedicated to giving you solid responses so you can live free and flourish. How should a libertarian Christian view the border wall? This is, of course, an issue that has come up because of our newly installed president's insistence that we need to make, we, the United States, will make Mexico pay for a wall that extends across the entire border. And this is seemingly a very popular view by his supporters. What is the Christian libertarian view? You know, I think this is really a non-issue because if Trump does put the border wall up, I just think the Mexicans are going to get over it. You know, this whole issue of the wall has a number of problems with it. Number one, the economics just don't make sense. This is going to be a massive infrastructure project, and the United States is completely bankrupt. I mean, we we know this. The debt is astronomical and growing daily by leaps and bounds. And the only way to actually finance this is through more quantitative easing. So it, like most of the government, requires central banking in order to get the green light. So the money's not there. It's vastly expensive. And it's also most likely going to be very ineffective because a lot of the people who are here illegally, they get here by coming in on travel or work visas, and then they just overstay the visas. So a wall doesn't address that issue. It doesn't stop people from coming over on airplanes and then staying when they're supposed to leave. The other thing is it could actually be counterproductive towards getting illegal immigrants to self-deport. Because once you put the wall up, those who are already here can't go back. So even if you take the position that this is, is an issue, then the wall is actually going to backfire fiscally and practically. Another issue that as libertarians we should be very skeptical of is that a wall that is supposedly meant to keep other people out can be used to keep the citizens of the country in. And so it's just the same principle that we talk about all the time, that once you have government power put in place and you start establishing precedent for one intention, it's there for successive administrations to use for a completely different and more malevolent purpose. Now, having said that, I do think that the the illegal immigration, however you want to find that is a an issue, but it's an issue because of what it's doing with the welfare state. It's an issue to have people come here and live off the dole and get benefits that all the rest of us have to pay for. That's a problem. But the solution isn't build a wall. The solution is destroy the welfare state, cut off the benefits, thereby you're removing the incentive of people to come here in the first place. Thank you, Nick. I think that was a really well-articulated response to that question. As usual, I think we can put all of our listeners to libertarianchristians.com, where we answer some questions, not necessarily through you know the FAQ, but there is a nearly 10 years worth of resources and articles and information that you can find at libertarianchristians.com. So before we wrap up, I want to do a lightning round, and we're going to have answers to a couple of questions here just as a rapid fire. So forgive us for not having time to elaborate. So question number one, if there is no government, who would build the roads? 
Well, right now the roads suck and the government builds them. And so I say, let's allow the market to build them and they could be better. Yeah, it's this whole fallacy that, you know, we have these items and we assume that the only way we could possibly get them is by the state. When historically there's plenty of examples of entrepreneurs and free markets providing anything and everything that government now does, but doing it better and more efficient. So there's no reason why the free market couldn't provide roads. Yep. And I'd add, if you're really interested in the topic, uh, Walter Block has written a lot of interesting articles about free market road systems and how they might form, how they've been formed in the past and ways in which these, these problems can be worked out. Good. My answer to that question is who would build the roads? Well, those who want to and become very good at it. Question number two. All right. What do you think of the big basic income guarantee, also known as the universal basic income Briefly, the idea is that in lieu of all of the welfare state and sort of regulatory apparatus that supports those who are poor, instead of that, the government uses tax money to simply write them a check. What do you think, Norman? It's a terrible idea. Nick? Yeah, so definitely agree that's a a terrible idea. It's funded through theft. It is economically imbalanced. It has broken window fallacy written all over it. And I would say that most of the people who will defend this basic income guarantee, universal basic income, will defend it from the position that, well, it will replace already existing wealth transfers that exist. And I say, I doubt that that is what will happen. We have the history of government to look back on in that typically programs are added onto existing programs and other programs never go away. Or if they do go away, they return. And so I would see this as becoming just another level or layer of the wealth transfer problem. Yeah, that's almost exactly my thoughts on it as well, Jason. I feel like I could be convinced of this on paper, but your answer is exactly the reason why I'm incredibly skeptical. Question number three, what would Jesus do if he were elected president? Well, you know, I mean, he turned over the tables of the money changers, so I think he would definitely end the Fed. Yeah, and he'd, uh, he'd definitely bring the troops home and uh, stop all the foreign wars. I imagine he'd probably try to delete at least two, maybe three organiza- uh, you know, government organizations if he could just remember what they were. Wow, if only we had a person run for president that would do similar things. Oh, wait, I think we did. All right, question four. If you were on a deserted island, what book, along with the Bible, would you take along with you? Ooh, that's a good one. I'd probably get like a Boy Scout handbook. I don't know. I got to think about this. There's only one right answer to this, and it is Murray Rothbard's Man, Economy, and State with Tyler <laughs> Right. So you can make sure it'd be Robinson Crusoe. Crusoe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Get that going. Clearly, Murray Rothbard's Man, Economy, and State with Power and Market. I'm going to just bring my Kindle, which has a ton of books on it. All right. Oh, so question yeah, number five. Cheating. Yep. Question number five. What is the most libertarian movie? I'm going to answer, I'm going to give two answers. I'm going to give the most Christian libertarian movie and the most libertarian movie. The most libertarian movie, in my opinion, is Dallas Buyers Club. And the most Christian libertarian movie is Hacksaw Ridge. I encourage you to go see it. The most libertarian movie is the one that is not copyrighted. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Uh, I'll I'll take a slightly different tactic and say what I believe is one of the best, you know, libertarian kind of TV shows that's ever been done. With the caveat that it is a as 
not a, sh- a show for children at all, and that is The Wire, uh, which is a terrific study of the drug war and the police state and the function of the media and all of it as well. Question six, Edward Snowden, hero or traitor? Hero, absolutely. Definitely hero, uh, has done a tremendous amount for not only all of the United States, but the people of the world. You know, my opinion is he's hero because if he wouldn't have done what he did, he would be a traitor to his own conscience. And uh, that's what we're called to do is to do what is our conscience is calling us to do and be congruent with our conscience. So yes, hero. Yeah, I would agree with you guys. Question seven, who is your favorite founding father and briefly why? My favorite would probably be just per, on a personal basis. I am a big fan of Benjamin Franklin. He's kind of a scientist and appeals to me, of course. Uh, and I think he has, he's just a really interesting person. You know, I should probably say George White, uh, who most people haven't heard of, but he was Thomas Jefferson's mentor. The only reason is, is because I'm a distant relative of his. So really, if I'm talking philosophy, I would say uh, probably Patrick Henry, big fan of the Anti-Federalists. Uh, they called it back when nobody else was really expecting the government we have today. And I'll second the Patrick Henry. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I would go with Jefferson, probably because it's a complicated reason why he was a great man. And I like complicated reasons. Question eight, should we return to the gold standard? Well, personally, I'm a fan of Bitcoin. I think that's the future, man. Bitcoin. The Bitcoin standard. Yeah, if you're going to have the U.S. dollar, then obviously having it pegged to a stable commodity like gold is a good idea. But really, I think the the most consistent Austro-Libertarian position is to have a free market in money itself. And therefore, anything that the market chooses to use as money should be money, regardless of legislative decree. Yeah, I'm with you on that too, Nick. I would say on that same point, the question, should we return to the gold standard? You know, I think the idea of returning to something is is backward looking in a lot of ways. So I would say, you know, let's just have an open conversation about what a market-based currency or a currency based on whatever would arise or emerge in a marketplace where the Federal Reserve didn't have a government monopoly on money printing and laws saying that we have to accept Federal Reserve notes and see what manifested. And we should point out, none of this should be construed as investment advice or speculation advice. Do it at your own risk. All right. So the final lightning round question, were the early church Christians socialists? No. No, definitely not. The hallmark that we really have to remember here is even the kind of things that they did that maybe appear, quote unquote, socialist were voluntary choices that they were making to support one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if it's, if it's voluntary and non-coercive, it can't really be classified as socialist. That's precisely it. If it's voluntary, it's not socialist. Sorry. Yeah, and to some extent, the definition is a little bit anachronistic because socialism includes the government ownership of the means of production. So no, not really. On the one hand, I would be willing to say, well, sure they were, but they all wanted to be and they were allowed to leave if they wanted to. So that doesn't really classify them as socialists anyway. So because it was all voluntary, that's why it worked. Socialism is not voluntary. That's my response to people who point out that in Acts 2, they were socialists and shouldn't Christians be that way? Nope, not at all. 
This podcast was inspired by our popular book, Faith Seeking Freedom, which is available on Kindle, softcover, and audiobook at faithseekingfreedom.com. Want your questions answered on our podcast? Email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so we can reach more Christians with the message of liberty.